I've got the post up here, so. Amazing. Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. Welcome, Andy. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Shona, how are you? Fabulous. How are you, Emma? Oh, I'm very well. Thank you so much for asking. I realised last time we didn't ask you back. Oh, did you not? I didn't even notice, to be fair. (laughs) That is how selfless I am. I just think about others all the time. I don't even think about myself. Even when you're on your camel. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know where that was going for a second. And then I was like, oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, obviously it's quite selfless of me to be out here in Dubai riding camels to motivate everyone and commit to six. So I really hope that people appreciate the effort that we've gone to. Honestly, I actually watched that video and I was like sick in my mouth. That is everything I hate about humanity. Do you know what? <laughs> At the end, it was like, I'm like, do you even hear what you're saying? She's like, yeah, well, if I was in England, I could be actually helping people, you know, like I could do workouts outside. And it was like, wait. Well, Isn't worst, that a reason not to be in Dubai? The worst bit was the fact when this, like, the second part of the video that was posted, she was like, oh, remember, be kind. Fucking what? You've just like went over and like done everything that you're not supposed to do, but you're now chucking out, oh, be kind. Yeah, do you know what? I was really impressed that um, Holly went back and was like, do you think this is kind to like all of the essential yes. workers and nurses who are working their ass off? And you're like, oh, I'm just going to go to Dubai because I think I might feel a little bit happier there, you know, and mental health is really important. That, 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 oh. Honestly, that'll, that'll be the next one. She'll chuck in the, the mental health card when she's been pulled up for being a dick. That's going to be the next one she'll throw out there. So let's be, let's, let's watch for that one. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard of her before. I still don't even know who she is. I don't think she's like a big, a big time Guys, influence. she's an award-winning <laughs> fitness professional, please. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're winning. Have some respect. Mm. Right, okay. <clears throat> Do we have Le Questions? Yes, I have them here. Uh, okay, so from Natalia. Sorry if this is already. Oh, wait, 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 from- sorry. Before we start, we- Andy, we've managed to change Shona's mind about the transgender thing. Oh? Oh! Because remember when she was like, we, when was I? Did I say it or you said it? And you're like, oh, we just end up having full teams of transgender athletes. And Shona was like, that's ridiculous. Well, now she's changed her mind. In in my defence, I you don't need to defend yourself. I, I I thought it sounded it did sound ridiculous, and I thought surely we'll get to a stage where someone intervenes before that happens. But as um, Emma pointed out in our little debate that we had on WhatsApp this morning, is that if we like really focus on inclusivity as the priority all the time, then we could get to a place where women's uh, sports are eradicated or like biologically female sports. Um, And yeah, I think there is definitely a time and a place for inclusivity, all for that, but- um, Not to the detriment of- yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, I think it. Ha- you have to weigh up inclusivity and fairness, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we both listened to the same podcast on this, which I'll link in the group because it's quite interesting. And some of the stats on it, we were talking about them this morning. They're quite sad for women. It's like things well, like if you took the best woman in the world for a certain thing, like let's say the fastest woman in the world she's still not as fast as like your average 16 year old <laughs> or like you're well, slightly it, above it, average 16 year old there was boy. there was a um i know that they did this but they, they obviously during the warm-ups to things like the women's world cup and football um they usually play against like sort of junior men's sides um and this is one of the things that came up in the sort of debate about women playing football alongside men the australian was it the australian national team who were the world champions at the time played against a club team's under 16s and got beat 11-1. It's bad, so, isn't it? 11-1, and the under 16s team was made up of under was made up of the under 14s team because the under 16s team was away playing somewhere else, and that's kind of like you're sitting going, and that's not a slight on women's football. That's just the difference in physicality, pace power is just like you unfortunately at the top level you see the difference is huge 
It's like playing. It's like playing an English Premier League team against some Sunday pub team. You're going to get it's something. Something's got to give. So yeah. yeah. There was another really depressing stat that was 40% of untrained men are stronger than elite female athletes. Yeah. That is so depressing. But then, like, if we flip it on its back, it makes it all the more impressive watching elite females or just women, like, excel at anything. Like, see it... I don't think we actually really take into account how impressive it is when, like, a woman can smash out uh, press-ups, pull-ups, handstand push-ups, things like that, because it is so much harder for us to do that. And it just kind of shows how powerful and potent testosterone is as well, doesn't it? Like that's, that's Well, what was interesting thing. about that as well was that it, it's obviously the effect of testosterone over time, because when they when women were, well, sorry, when men were transitioning to women and they lowered their testosterone. So initially what the rule was going to be is if you lower your testosterone to the levels of a normal woman or a biological woman, sorry, then like we would allow you to play in sport. But they found that there was only what like a, so it went from a 40% difference in strength to about a 35% difference in strength when their testosterone levels were lower. So it's not like you're, it's now an even playing field. And then you're looking at even just like height and stature. It's just a completely different thing. Mm. Um, I once went on a date with a guy and uh, he said, <laughs> I think this might have been the turning point for me, like genuinely. He said, I can't take women's sports seriously. It's just like a lesser version of men's sport. I want to be sick in my mouth. I hate him. I hate him. What it was, was so bad. And then, do you know what the worst part was? I was like, he wasn't even, like, he went to the gym and stuff. But I was like, I, and we both know Shelly. And I was like, you know, Shelly could beat you at CrossFit. I'm like, you're not like, oh, I don't know. I was like, you're not as good as elite level females. You do realize that. Anyway, needless to say, there was not a second date. I always love um, looking at CrossFit in terms of things like this because I I do think because you are testing people across these really broad types of fitness that some women can really stand up against the men, especially in the elite CrossFit. Um, and that's what and also like I just I find the male competition really boring to watch. I love like what the women can do because the what, what the women can do is just amazing and totally impresses me how much um performance enhancing drug use do you think is in crossfit i think a lot Mm. (laughs) okay i I think i'm (laughs) underestimating the actual numbers what's that like under a lot still underestimating the actual actual benefit or the the exact the numbers of it all yeah yeah i also see a lot of sorry no no you go we see a lot of a lot of top athletes retiring after times when they start to bring in testing, which kind of really starts to make you go, okay, you've decided to bow out at the time. It's the same as the the athletics. Like look at Sebastian Coe. Like he's just said that oh, we will now have an even stricter drug testing policy where your name will not matter. So in other words, we've been letting people off who've had a big name over the past however long. So yeah, well this is the thing with like. CrossFit drug testing, or yeah, or I even when people are like, oh, CrossFit, I think like the the top, see the darlings of CrossFit, like they get a blind eye, um, a turn to them because like they're the ones that bring in the viewers, the money, like they're not going to be tested like the ones who are lower level. Like I feel like every year they make an example of someone, but it's someone who no one really likes anyway. Or um, shite. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly but that's the same like this is going to sound this is going to this is probably going to be a bit controversial but i know for a fact in a sport in scotland that people are told do not turn up tonight because there are drug testers coming and they and it's not for to be fair it's not for peds it's generally for uh, recreational stuff but like that is that is like you know, it's the same at like the top level of athletics you know if they're already turning a blind eye to it because let's be fair you're not wanting to watch average. 
Yeah. That's not what people watch the Olympics for. People watch the Olympics to watch the, the world records getting broken. But mm-hmm. at the same point, if you're then turning a blind eye to performance enhancing just because there's going to be records getting broken, you're subverting reality. It's not actually real. So, you know, it's you're already chucking everything under the bus. Well, I find the whole drug testing debate a bit like stupid anyway. Like Unless you're an elite level athlete who is getting random drug tests, You'd have to be a freaking idiot to get caught. Like, if you're like, cool, you, you're you going to get tested on the day of your competition or, like, a few days before or after. Great. Make sure you know the half-life of your drug and make sure it's out of your system by that date. You could literally train the whole year assisted and then come off for two weeks before your competition. It's so stupid. That's why I'm like, when they do it in bodybuilding competitions, because that's how they do it, like, oh, you'll be tested on the day... <laughs> like you literally have to be an idiot to get caught and it means nothing it's always like people like wave it around like a flag like look i've been drug tested and i'm definitely drug free yeah you were drug free on that day it doesn't mean yeah. anything whatsoever and it's a complete waste of money like why are you testing these people there's a very very well-known drugs drugs coach who's helped a lot of top athletes compete at the olympics and stuff and that's his one of his quotes was an iq test and a drugs test are exactly the same only morons fail them so that tiny tells you all you really need to know about drug testing and the protocols behind it okay so question one question one um natalia so if this has already been covered in the previous podcasts i've noticed some people in the gym are repeating the reps very quickly and not going through full range of movement for example knee extensions is that a leg extension probably um, I see people going mad on the machine and I think, why? Is there any evidence or science behind it? Why don't you go on that one, Andy? Um, see, this you could look at this from two sides. Um, number one, you see a lot of shitey form, shitey technique, people just rattling through reps without actually getting any muscle control or, or um, tension through it. However, there are people, there are other ways of training, for instance, like you're hit, trying to hit failure, so you're just rattling out as many reps as you can. Um, so I would always, ha- you would have to look at their full session and see what it is they're doing. So, you know, you would, you can't make a snap call on seeing one set of leg extensions. You would have to look, if they're doing every single set of leg extensions like that, maybe they, they're not doing it properly, but there is rhyming reason behind certain half range or sort of like sort of shorter range reps there are reasons behind faster pace or faster tempo um yeah so it's um it all depends on what it is they're doing yeah i agree i i used to train with this massive bodybuilder again assisted so part of me is like would he have got results despite what he's doing not because of what he's doing but he actually lifted quite light weights like not significantly more than i lifted and didn't ever do full reps so it was always partial reps and in some ways it was like keeping the the tension on the muscle for the full rep so I can see there was a benefit I also think for him it was partly like I think he really had the mindset of I'm stimulating this muscle I'm not like stimulation not annihilation like I want it I want it quite controlled I'm really thinking about contracting that muscle it doesn't need to be that heavy and he got brilliant results doing that i think you're right like it depends on the individual and it's not as easy as just to be like oh yeah they're definitely doing their reps too fast and they must be an idiot yeah shona i don't really have anything to add on that <laughs> cool yes. right uh, yeah <laughs> it, from jennifer what are the benefits of onositol it's particularly in relation to pcos the impact of the menstrual cycle on fat loss, I realize this is a huge topic, but specifically, I'm currently only seeing progress on the scales in the first two weeks of my cycle, and they're static for the next two weeks. Is this due to a slow rate of fat loss during ovulation or more of a case of it being masked on the scales? I would say it's definitely a case of it being masked on the scales, if nothing else has changed. Um, we don't see an, like immediate results from fat loss anyway, so that's like absolutely completely normal you don't need to change anything um inositol can help pcos in some individuals it seems to increase insulin sensitivity slightly um and i have used it with a couple of clients who have pcos and 
some have had good results and some haven't really noticed any difference whatsoever. Does anyone else have any experience of inositol? No. In a way, I think it's quite a good one to try because there's very little um, negative side effects to it that I have heard of anyone experience. And there may be um, the potential to increase your likelihood of becoming pregnant if you are trying to become pregnant and you have PCOS. Cool. Nice one. Right, uh, from Dan. What's the deal with inflammation? Should I be concerned about it or is it something that's not an issue if I live a reasonably healthy lifestyle? Shona has replied to this one, saying Christmas cake in extreme quantities causes inflammation of the tum. But Dan did say it's more like massage for the tummy. I wasn't just randomly saying that. Like He had in his last check-in told me that he had eaten a slice of Christmas cake that was a thousand calories. And I was like, that is not a slice. That is half the cake. <laughs> Do you know what though? Christmas cake is so calorie dense. It's not even that good though. It's no, it's right. not at all, but it, it is very dense in calories. Overrated on the scale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in, well, inflammation, you, you're going to have to experience a bit of inflammation at some point with things like when you're trying to build muscle because you're creating cellular damage. But, if it's inflammation of things like joints and stuff, you might want to be a bit more aware of that. That's maybe something that you're going to have to look at. Like, because of what I'm doing just now, having my cut, I increased my steps, which can cause a little bit of inflammation in the knee that I've had operations on. So I generally chuck a bit of ice on that to sort of to sort of bring the inflammation down a bit. But yeah, I, I think um, there was always that big was there not always the big thing with the sort of inflammation with the whole ph diet and stuff that kind of that's the whole reason that the ph diet was was kind of chucked and bandied about as being sort of no that was acidity and like the alkaline slash acidity level of your blood which was again absolutely ridiculous because if you could change that then we'd probably be in quite a lot of trouble um and as soon as these like alkaline products like alkaline water touch your stomach acids and they're not alkaline anymore are they so there's really absolutely no benefit to that but when it comes to inflammation like acute inflammation is actually usually quite a good thing i mean in terms of uh, adapting to a training stimulus so exercise will cause inflammation and that in an acute response is quite a good thing and actually is one of the triggers for adaptation after exercise chronic inflammation is not a good thing so Mm. chronic levels of inflammation like you would see in obesity or arthritis that's something we would want to like fight against i don't think dan would need to worry about that personally but like just as more of a a general thing that's you know there are so many diseases in fact in some ways like there's uh what is the right word there are hypotheses i guess about the formation of or the the causes of certain diseases and how so many of them are linked to chronic inflammation and it's it's very hard to say whether it's causal like is it chicken or egg like is the disease causing inflammation or is inflammation causing the disease but they tend to occur together but there's a very big difference between acute inflammation and chronic inflammation acute inflammation you don't need to worry about and in fact is probably a good thing because we see that when people try and reduce inflammation straight after exercise, that actually has a negative impact in terms of their exercise adaptations. It, it, in, you could think about it in the same way as cortisol. Like cortisol acutely, actually quite a good thing. Long-term, high levels of cortisol, like chronically high levels of cortisol, not a good thing. So similar, similar thing. Awesome. Um... Lucinda, creatine, do I need it? And the second part, somebody's, uh, Brittany's put in a second part of this. In relation to creatine, will the effect of taking it be the same if I split it into two times two and a half gram servings instead of one times five? I've been trying to see, uh, been trying this to see if it helps with bloating, but wondered if effectiveness will be changed. How much does timing matter? Do you not think that... I would say like the biggest resistance to most people taking creatine is like the fear of of water retention, of bloating. I, I actually like I've been taking creatine for a long time now and it 
I mean, I really would not notice if there had been any water retention whatsoever. I think that some people maybe attribute other things that are going on. So, like, quite a lot of you be, will be feeling bloated because of the amount of veg that you're eating. Um, and I, I really don't think that, that you're creating or splitting it into, like, those servings is going to have much of an impact, to be completely honest. And it, it's, even if it is causing any water retention or bloating, it, it tends to sort of even itself out over time is that not right yeah Yeah. and i mean some of the water retention might actually just be needed to store the creatine in your muscle like it's not so much water retention in the way that we think of it as like bloating and feeling a bit like puffy and things it's within your muscle so it's not it's not a bad thing it just means that and the only reason we really mention it is because sometimes when people start taking it they see the scales go up slightly and that, like, again, is a reason that people wouldn't take it. But it's actually such a good supplement to take. Um, and I, I would recommend it. Like, there are many supplements that we blanket recommend, but I would blanket recommend creatine, not only for its benefits in terms of muscle strength, power development, but also potentially there's some really interesting research on cognitive function, especially as you age. So, like, risk of Parkinson's disease and dementia, and like if anything is going to benefit you there then it's certainly worth taking uh i would if you think that it is causing you bloating i would split the dosage to 2.5 and 2.5 only because it won't make any difference in terms of how it's used like it doesn't matter that you've taken it in two dosages and if it benefits your symptoms fine there's no problem with that perfect um okay look sarah I just came on the page to ask a general question, so I'll ask it here. Does your stomach capacity decrease as you diet? I've been out for dinner tonight and had a starter, three pieces of bread and a dessert, none of which were huge, yet I'm painfully full. Laying on the bed, unable to move, I look like I'm more pregnant than Shona. I don't really look that pregnant. Away you go, Sarah. (laughs) Away you go! I read that and I was like, all right, I don't actually look that pregnant yet. Calm down. A year or so ago, I could have eaten this and and a main, and I don't remember it being painful. Um, I think some people do think that their stomach shrinks during dieting. It probably depends on how you've dieted. Like, if anything, my food volume goes up when I diet, so very unlikely that my stomach would shrink. Um, but I think if you do start eating significantly less and less food volume, then potentially yes. I think as well if you start. You know, if you start having, I think a lot of people will probably start be thinking about having like sort of smaller meals. If you then go out and have a much larger meal, the food volume is going to feel a lot more. Even if your stomach hasn't hasn't um, shrunk, you've still put more food in than you normally would. So you're probably going to find that it might be a bit uncomfortable. Um, so yeah. Seems like but, something that you had was like really spicy, or you just didn't react well to it. Yeah. So it's probably gluten intolerant. Yeah, uh, you're definitely gluten intolerant. Yeah, I, would, I can I, would... I can actually diagnose that on a podcast. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Especially when you start to look pregnant. <laughs> oh. Oh my god, was it was it the Irish man? What? Remember Sarah had a one night stand with the Irish man? <laughs> not only does the group know that, the whole podcast now knows that. <laughs> Yeah, nothing like client confidentiality. Just for anyone listening who's worried, it was posted. That's what you get for calling me pregnant. Exactly. For saying I look pregnant. Chucked right under the bus. Yeah. Okay, dog. Next one up. Sam, are all sources of protein equal when it comes to building muscle? For example, is a plant-based meal with 25 grams of protein the same as a non-plant-based one with the same protein? Um that's the question when there are two but we'll split them up so that's the first one no because because andy the amino acid profile of non-animal sourced protein probably isn't going to be as good as the vegetarian version there are some vegetarian sources of protein that do have a full amino acid spectrum but even then they tend to have lower levels of leucine and leucine is the key trigger for muscle protein synthesis so the reason that we recommend like 25 grams of protein is because 
in most sources of animal protein, 25 grams of protein gives you three grams of leucine, which would maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So there you go. You could have your animal source of protein and then supplement with some leucine if you wanted to sort of bump it up that way. That would be one way to do it. Cool. Nice one. So the second part of Sam's question is, this is very random and is more out of general curiosity. Um, as trainers, coaches, how do you detach from one-on-one -on -one clients? For example, if they aren't following suggestions, is that a deal breaker? How easy or difficult is it to step back and be like, I can only do my part and the rest is out of my control? Oh, that's a really good question, isn't it? Who's that from? Uh, that's from Sam. Sam. So, do, does anyone, you guys go first. You go first, on you go. Oh. Knock right. it out of the park. Oh. Uh, okay, so if they aren't following suggestions, is that a deal breaker? Absolutely not. Can you imagine how rubbish a coach or trainer you'd be if you were like, right, well, you're not doing what I'm saying, so that's us done. <laughs> that's why it's so funny when people are like, hi, guys, I'm looking for three really highly motivated people i'm not looking for anyone who doesn't want to work hard like blah 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 i'm like all right good and, luck finding them yeah and, and that <laughs> is also weird when or not weird but um like we we want to get across to you that we were we're never like annoyed or angry at you or disappointed in you we're not your mum like we're we're your coach we're your friend we're here to support you and if the first thing that we've suggested doesn't work then we'll suggest something else and we'll work together to find a way to make whatever isn't working work um i mean and also like it how easy difficult is it to step back and be like I can only do my part and the rest of it I mean it's a two-way street like um like that that thing that Andy shared with the dog walking itself <laughs> like we can only give you so much but then you have to parent yourself and you have to like take what we say on board and then and and do what you can with it like it absolutely it's not just us being like we will tell you what to do you follow it blindly we want you to learn and, and be able to potentially do it without us one day. Someone used this analogy before. I can't remember who it was and I thought it was quite good. So like, instead of having a sat nav where it just tells you where you're going and then you get there. And if I was like, right, get back to where we started, you'd have absolutely no idea how to get back. Like anytime I use a sat nav, I'm like, I need to use this every time I go to this place now because I have no idea. Whereas we're either, like you could think of us either like a map because you normally remember or like someone in the front like directing you where to go like okay at this junction turn here and usually you actually then remember how to get back like there's a bit more emphasis from your part or if you've looked at a map you're like okay cool I need to move like I need to go left on this roundabout you've actually thought about what you're doing so it's much more there's much more longevity to that but Shona's completely right like the whole point is that we work together as a team that's why we called one-to-one -one coaching team you because we join your team to get you results the only time i find this hard is if someone's like yeah i've not done everything and like, i've not done anything um just not really like not really felt like doing anything and i'm a bit annoyed i'm not getting results that like that kind of annoys me because i'm like what well, like what did you expect whereas if someone's like i've really struggled because of x y and z i'm just looking to figure out a way that i can fit all this in around my life like can you help me do that or can we make some changes here like what's where should i put my efforts to get the most results basically if someone still wants to if someone's not given up then i'm not giving up on them but as soon as you give up on yourself then there's it's like a waste of time like if you've given up and you're not going to try it's a waste of our time and it's a waste of your time if you're willing to try, we will back you 100%, even if it takes months and months and months to make even yeah. a small amount of progress. And it's going to be different for everyone. And some people, you know, the first thing we tell them will work and they'll get fantastic results from that. Other people, we need to figure out different ways of doing things. And that's mm -hmm. part, like, I kind of enjoy that. I like the challenge of that. As much as it's oh. fun having a client who's just like, oh yeah, I stuck to everything and I got amazing results. It's actually pretty amazing for like when you can get around a problem or someone comes to you and they're like, I've never had results before. Like, I don't think this will work. And you're like, <laughs> just let me show you. I also think it's about the, the word detach is actually probably the wrong word. I actually think it's the opposite. 
you need to understand your client rather than detach yourself to understand what makes them tick and what helps what motivates them or you know how are we going to get around that problem you know that's the detaching yourself i always think as a as certainly as a like for somebody one-to-one or any any form of training whether it's online or in person if you detach yourself you become you, you don't really care whereas actually we do care that's the difference is you're not detached you're not detached to it you're actually attached it because you want to see them you want to see the wins for them that's kind of how you would look at it so the word detach is probably the wrong word to put into yeah i agree i don't think there's that. a sort of detached thing but i, I kind of get like I, maybe you mean like how do you decide just, when like enough yeah. is enough and i think that just comes with a really honest conversation with the client like are you still willing to try here because i will back you 100 percent if you're willing to try but if you're you know if you don't think this is going to work and well not even if you don't think this is going to work so i think a lot of people do start thinking that but if you're not willing to put in at least some effort and work with me on your goals, then obviously it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. Um, Gemma, random one, but how does caffeine give you energy? For example, a black coffee has no calories, so no units of energy. So I'm unsure of how it gives you that morning burst of energy. Uh, also, on the topic of caffeinated drinks, following on from your chat with Chloe about L-carnitine, I noticed that it's one of the ingredients in a can of Monster, along with caffeine and inositol, as mentioned above. Will this give me all I need for a daily dose of each? Yes, because CLA doesn't... Wait, what are we talking about? L-carnitine. L-carnitine. It doesn't really do a hell of a lot, so you don't need any more of that. So if there's some in your Monster, fine. It's probably not doing anything in there. I think a lot of the time like i don't know what the dosage of inositol is so that might not be enough in fact i would be willing to bet it's not enough to get the benefits so not not for that one but i wouldn't bother supplementing with l-carnitine with the caffeine it's not so much that it's giving you energy as in it's like giving you glucose or something like it's a very different feeling so you'd get a different feeling drinking a coffee compared to eating some jelly babies for example because one of them is giving you blood glucose like increased blood glucose and the other one is like triggering a release of this sort of fight or flight response and it's increasing your energy increasing your heart rate it's almost like perceived energy it's not energy in the sense of a substrate it also does do things like increase fat oxidation so fat breakdown so there may be like some extra release there but the main benefit you're getting is almost the feeling of more energy because you're right there's no calories in caffeine so it's not actually giving you energy but it might be allowing you to utilize the energy that you already have and making it more likely you would do so So like by increasing your heart rate for example it's actually making you expend more energy and it increases heat production as well again you're expending more energy but you'll know from drinking caffeine that your feeling is like as soon as i drink some caffeine like i want to get up and do something so it's an interesting question because you're completely right that it doesn't give you energy but it does give you like the feeling of more energy and i think energy substrate is very different to energy because i think we're using the same word in two different ways like if i said to andy like oh do you feel like you've got a lot of energy this week You'd be like, yeah, but you don't mean, yeah, there's loads of blood glucose in my blood. You know, like, you don't mean right now that there's lots of substrate there. Yeah. We're talking about energy as a feeling as opposed to energy as a actual substance. Yeah. Cool. Um, right. Uh, Emma. So imagine you build a lot of muscle, say upper body, like I'm slowly doing. For example, building back and shoulders. If you start to lose muscle either through not training for hypertrophy, a decrease in volume, and kept calories just at maintenance or below, what happens to the muscle you've built? If you're going to lose it, does it turn to fat, therefore you look the same size but not as solid, or does it shrink away? What are the influencing factors in this? Can I just say, um, see, when I was little, I went to dancing, and we had this like really posh dance teacher and she used to be a professional dancer um and she was really like a round lady uh when she taught us and someone said 
oh, it's because all her muscles turn to fat because she doesn't dance anymore. And I remember thinking, I must have been like eight years old, she must have been really muscly. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what, though? A lot of people do think that. And I think it's because you do see that in like ex-athletes, which when you think about it is obvious. Like, oh, they went from training four or five hours a day to not at all, but they still eat the same and like they're not as active or whatever. Or their diet's worse because now they don't have to worry about performance. Like what does tend to happen is that you do put on fat, but it's not because the muscle is turning to fat. It's because you're just putting on fat and you're losing muscle. Like the best way to think about it is, and I'm going to caveat this, but use it or lose it. Like if you stop using a muscle, it will go. Like your body's not going to keep a muscle that it doesn't need. However, what I do think and what most of the research shows and also anecdotal experience shows is that you don't need to use it a lot to maintain it so for example like if you if you were a cyclist and you had really muscly legs and then you stopped cycling you'd probably lose a little bit of that muscle you'd still have freaking massive legs just because you walk on them every day like you're still stimulating that muscle and and although it's not being used in the same way and you probably won't be building any you probably maintain that and I think like I'm quite a good example of that over the last year not really trained massively to the extent that I used to train and I mean I've definitely lost some muscle but I've managed I mean I'm freaking jacked right (laughs) (laughs) no but I mean like I've still got like some definition and some muscle despite the fact I didn't really train very much and certainly not anywhere near what I used to train so I think once you build muscle it's quite easy to maintain it muscle does not just turn into fat but if you don't use it you will lose it to an extent and I mean when when I say if you don't use it like we see significant drops in muscle mass after two days of bed rest which is like scary like that's mad and even like after two weeks you see a huge drop in muscle mass but even just walking is enough to sort of maintain that or even just like the effects of gravity for a lot of the for a lot of muscle like is enough to maintain that muscle yeah, cool. Um, so Louise has followed on from that question. Um, once you have completed your muscle building phase and then you want to cut, should your training plan remain the same uh, and only cut calories? And is this the same once you go to maintenance? Yes. Training doesn't. Training's not the thing that changes. It's the calories that change across the board. So if you're trying to cut some body fat, you could you can cut body fat, maintain and build muscle all with the same program pretty much you could do it that way all you're doing is you're changing your calories so creating a deficit sitting at maintenance or creating a surplus so yeah the training the training never changed or or training the reason that we change training is to to change the stimulus of probably things like you know potentially focusing on lower body if you're wanting to build some more legs or something like that or trying to keep people this is the thing obviously with the commit to six thing is we change the program every two weeks ideally we'd probably keep the training program the same for six weeks and progress you through the six weeks but because you've got six weeks we're wanting to make sure that you're getting value for money through the program so we give you two or three two-week blocks but you can pretty much train the same way and the only thing that changes is calories yeah uh, one of the reasons one of the primary reasons which i know people will be like oh that doesn't seem like a good reason but it is a really good reason to change your training program is simply enjoyment like enjoyment and also getting excited about having a new workout to do and so that you avoid boredom which is so important like it doesn't matter how optimized your training program is if you're really bored you're not going to do it or you're not going to put the same effort into it. That's partly why we change it. It's not what a lot of people think, which is that like you need to keep the muscle guessing or you need to always change the stimulus. And actually too much changing of stimulus is actually worse. So you could get amazing results doing the same training program, honestly, for years. As long as you are keeping in some way progressively overloading, as in being able to slightly push up those muscle, those um the weights that you're lifting or the reps that you're doing in some way, like you're getting some progress, doesn't really matter. That's why we always have like very similar exercises in each program because the basics are the basics because they work. Now, it's also why, and a lot of coaches will do this, we don't have the fat loss program, the maintenance program, the muscle building program. 
what builds muscle in a surplus maintains muscle in a deficit and it's exactly what we want to do and it, i mean sometimes in a deficit we would build a bit of muscle depending on your training experience but again it's not the training that changes it's your adaptation to that training that's changing yeah. and there might be some slight differences like if you were like i want to do a strength block we might change things a bit but in terms of building muscle there might be a case for the fact that if you're in a deficit we might need to reduce the volume slightly because you might not be able to recover from as much volume like remember the optimal amount of volume is the amount that you can recover from so when you're in a surplus that you might be able to push up the volume a little bit that might mean adding on you know maybe in a deficit you were doing actually i wouldn't even do that so i'm not going to say it but you might be able to do a little bit more volume or lift a little bit heavier but really you don't really need to change your training program at all and similarly in the deficit you might be like i'm gonna add on a little circuit to burn some calories or i'm gonna do a little bit of cardio after my session to burn some extra calories but yeah the basics don't need to change awesome um from Brittany again do ab muscles grow in the same way as other muscles i know how visible they are depends on a lot of factors but do they get bigger and more visible during hypertrophy I think that the reason that people think that ab muscles don't grow in the same way as other muscles, which they do, they grow just like any other muscles, is that people don't train their ab muscles with weights. They tend to do like unweighted exercises and that's why they don't see the 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 same like rate of growth in the muscles there. So you absolutely have to use weighted exercises with um with your core exercises and i mean yeah it is a little bit harder to do that in lockdown or maybe it's not no it's not harder to do in lockdown you can do tons of resistance band core exercises um but yeah um it it's just like any other muscle um one thing that i was going to say is that a while ago there was like i don't know if either of you heard it i think it tended to be like a bodybuilder thing it was like don't like you need to watch what core exercise you do with weights because you don't want like a thick core. I personally think that's bollocks. Um, yeah, people you? said to avoid um, deadlifts because you don't want yeah. thick middle. Yeah, I think you push. You're building when you deadlift. You're building a bigger back and a bigger bum, so like it all looks more in proportion with each other. So it's not like you're just building this big thick core. Um, <laughs> Can you yeah. imagine? <laughs> just feel like a big rectangle <laughs> so i've not um i've not looked this up but i'm i'm kind of thinking maybe there is something to do with fiber types with this in that maybe there's more type one fibers which don't hypertrophy as well as type two fibers so another example of that is that like I'm going to say men, but maybe women struggle with this as well. They just possibly don't care as much. But men who are like, nothing grows my calves. I think one of the reasons for that is because of the fiber type. So there's a lot of type one fibers in your calf because it tends to be used in more predominantly endurance type activity, like all the time when you're walking. Um, and I think maybe that has something to do with it. In, yeah. in terms of its hypertrophy response because as much like i agree with jonah like it you know you stimulate a muscle and it will adapt and grow yeah. but i they don't grow in quite the same way as other muscles like no one's got like oh i've not really seen many people's abs that are just like absolutely popping unless they're absolutely shredded yeah. in the same way that you might see like a bicep mm -hmm. and part yeah. of that will be to do with like the way it's inserted and the shape of the muscle compared to the bone structure and all these type of things. But there does some, seem to be like less of a hypertrophy response than in other muscles. Yeah, but I do generally think that most people don't train their core with weights. Enough. I think it's quite hard to isolate your core with weights though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, when people used to do like the main one was like getting the rope. Cable crunch, yeah did absolutely nothing for me yeah especially it's a really hard one to technically do right yeah. you tend to like bend at the hips rather than it's like... all about your pelvic floor all right andy <laughs> any excuse nah i think i think you're right though i think a lot of it is um i think a lot of it is as you say also as well as soon as you start to add in like a weight generally people do it badly mm. so 
like you know you see loads of folk doing like weighted abdominal crunches and some people can physically engage your abs in that position and obviously me when me and emma are trained together she doesn't do group crunches whereas i can find that i can get my abdominal and the nicest way of andy to say emma can't do that <laughs> no, no, no no but i mean like but you like i i feel them burn but again I don't. I've never. I've not done them since having getting physio. So I actually don't know if I'll have the same effect because I always, from doing getting physio, my um, diaphragm did most of the work because my pelvic floor didn't do anything. So that's why I would feel it in my abs. But it'd be interesting now to know now that I know how to control everything if I feel it in the same way. So I might actually go and try that at some point. Um, it, it doesn't make sense that Emma, you can't do them because you have like the longest spine ever. <laughs> Maybe that's why. <laughs> I can do them. I just don't really feel it that much in comparison to like hanging leg raises or something. Yeah. yeah. So also hanging leg raises look much better on Instagram, especially yeah. when you've got abs popping like Emma's. Yeah, because when you're crunching over, even if you have got shredded abs, it looks like you've got rolls anyway. <laughs> it's not a very so- Instagrammable move. <laughs> Um, we've got a few more. Uh, um, how important is resting heart rate as an indicator of health and fitness? Main factors that improve or affect it. Aware of the inaccuracies of trackers on this, so no, it's never going to be exact. So actually, I would say for resting heart rate, your tracker is probably fairly accurate. I mean, it depends on which one you've got, but it should be fairly accurate. Potentially, as you're moving and throughout exercise and stuff, it might not be as accurate, but should be able to measure that or you can just count for 30 seconds and then double it um it's so it's such an important health marker so if that's going down then generally your health is going up there will come a point where it will stop going down obviously because there would be a detriment to that so you will like saturate the response you'll get there but yeah it's a it's a great marker of health what what was the other bit of the question um the main factors that improve or affect it any kind of exercise and i think a lot of people are really pigeonholed into like cardio for this oh if you want to improve your heart rate you need to do cardio there's so much evidence to show that hit training resistance training like andy barely does any cardio. well actually that's bullshit you do loads of cardio i I walk but i don't walk fast like my rest my my walking pace isn't yeah but this is the thing like you don't necessarily need that like you're you're still getting the benefit of both sides so you walk a lot but also you do a lot of resistance training so you're stressing your heart in both situations and like even if you're thinking, oh, but surely your heart's only stressed when you're running or doing like, you know, a bike workout or something like that. What is your heart doing when you lift weights? What's happening? It needs to pump blood to those working muscles yeah, and it and needs fast. to do it pretty quickly. Yeah. And, and you like check your heart rate when you're lifting weights, it will be really high. Like yeah. it's working. So either of those things, any exercise basically will yeah. benefit. Yeah. Cool. Um, Katie, tips for comfortable grip with front squats. I can't seem to get the position of the bar right and it hurts my shoulders, even with the man pawn. I'm proud of that one, the man pawn. Uh, am I just a delicate flower? Um, I would actually wouldn't even use the man pawn for a front squat. I think that using that... Just basically you just can't breathe. Throw it off your shoulders. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you use, Shona, but I, I quite like to teach... Um, using a set of wrist straps on the bar rather than on your wrists. So we tie it onto the bar and you can then use the wrist straps held up. Uh, I'll put a video up in the group um, on this one, but it's also somewhere where you can teach yourself to get to be flexible by keeping um, taking more of the wrap through your hand until you can actually get your fingertips under it. Um, I know a lot of people try to grip the full bar in a front squat, but actually it should really just be fingertips because mm-hmm. um, I do see a lot of folk who've got a full grip on the bar and that's like, I I think my, rips, my wrists would like snap off doing that. Well, um, yeah, I think you can get away with it when you're front squatting like 10 kilograms, but as soon as it starts getting heavy, like there really shouldn't yeah. be any weight on your wrists. Otherwise you're limited by the amount of weight you can hold with your wrists. Yeah. Um, I quite like doing zombie squats. What's that? It's quite like, I mean, it's probably harder, but basically you're not touching the bar. So like really the bar, yeah, the bar should be able to sit there without you holding it at all. 
And all you're mm. doing with your thumbs just under it or however you want to hold it is really just like holding it in place. There shouldn't be any effort on your arms whatsoever. It should just be sitting there. So like I can front squat. It, it is harder to do, but if you want to make sure that you're you're doing it right, then you should be able to balance the bar there. And you can practice on that with just like a broomstick or something. Obviously it has to be even on both sides, but you don't need anything heavy to do that. Yeah. Just the ability to stay upright as you squat down. Yeah. Anything from you, Shona? I know I think, um, yep, that's really good. And I like your holding on to wrist straps. That's quite a good one. I might steal that in the future. I think the reason that I used wrist, I started using wrist straps was it was mainly because I see so many people doing crossed over, like a sort of a cut like a coffin version of the front squat. And the the biggest issue with that is is if you then fail, you have to be quick to get your hands out from underneath that bar, or you're going to end up zercher squatting the base on the floor, which oh. is not fun. I've seen many people do that and ending up. Actually, saw a guy tried to front squat about 120 kilos, dropped it and dislocated his shoulder and his elbow because it dropped into the crook of his elbow and pulled everything out. Because um. he landed one side down, which is why I would never ever teach a crossed over front squat. Yeah. I think it's a horrible position, especially for trying to get out of it. Um, so yeah, that's probably my number one thing that I would take away from a front squat. Yeah. And if uh, it's really really sore and you just can't do it then i think a goblet squat or something like that whenever you've got whatever you've got the weight in the front is is probably a good sub perfect well uh, here we go deborah um i would like a, i would please like a realistic view in my head of what i can expect to achieve at my age right i'm going to try and tighten this up because it's a massive question um my experience has been that you get has been you get someone who is good at the physical side but rubbish with nutrition or the other way around I love how amazing. Uh, what? Well, who's this for? It's for all of us. At both, you are not at, at you both. <laughs> at both, you are, and I know you will be honest. I would just like to align my goals and thoughts with realistic expectations. Uh, I know people say you can have what you want if you work hard enough, but I know genetics and science won't allow that. Um, so I think it's genuinely just the older you get, what is what is what is achievable and Shona's popped up Joan Joan the most amazing 75 year old in the world who is an absolute tank she really is well so I think what um Deborah's concern was she said I'm 46 what she's not even old I know said said I'm 46 I thought she was going to be like I'm 78 no um, I presume age is against me for building muscle. I can lose fat all day. I find that a bit easy. Um, but I think basically muscle is uh, like she's not seeing any progress there just yet because we're only in week four. Five, yeah. So you need to go back and listen to a the muscle building podcast, like what to expect as you build muscle, because I talk about the rate at which you build muscle. And by the way, that is always going to be slower than the rate at which you can build, lose fat. Like you might mm. think fat loss is slow. Well, look forward to building muscle. It is slow, but it is worth it. And then you need to listen to the podcast on aging and the benefits of exercise as you age. Because if anything is going to motivate you to continue exercising, it's that. Like I go through every single, um, well, maybe not every single, but a lot of the effects of aging and then a lot of the impacts of exercise. And they either like, massively slow the decline or you can still increase so like muscle mass generally as we age decreases if you start exercising it will increase like you can absolutely still increase your muscle mass at 46 years old like there's absolutely no reason that that is going to be a problem whatsoever like I wouldn't even consider that an issue yeah some changes do happen through menopause which can make it slightly harder to build muscle if you're on hrt that doesn't really account for you anyway so there are some things that get harder as you age but like absolutely not going to be a problem in terms of building muscle and probably the best thing you can do for your own health going forward the other thing i know that you've said as well like oh i know that we all have genetic ceiling and like age and things like that and 
to an extent that's true like if you came to us and you're like i would like to break the world record for the bench press we might be like okay well i'm not sure you'll be able to get there we can give it our best shot but i don't know if that's going to be possible yeah if you're saying i want to build some muscle that is so far within your genetic potential like yes of course you can achieve that most of us are nowhere near our potential so as much as people like put that as a limit to them like oh i know i'll never be like I know that genetics play a role and I'll never get to X. Like, yeah, but you're so, like, you are you can do so much closer to X than you are now. And most of us never get anywhere near X anyway. So, yeah, that, I, I think it's quite a hard question to answer more than that, just given that we don't actually know, apart from building a bit of muscle, like what your goal is. So when you say, what can I expect? It's quite hard to say, although I do go into this in massive detail in the two podcasts I just spoke about. And I actually like these, these are basically completely on that question. So please go and listen to them. I think they're like 170 and 174 or something, but it will be obvious by the titles. So, Right, we've got three questions. Let's just rattle through them quite quickly. Um, number one, if fat loss is your goal and you're at your calorie target for the day but still need a bit more protein to reach your protein target, do you prioritize sticking to calories and going under with protein or do you go over calorie target to reach your protein goal? Mm, that's a good question. You stick to your calories because fat loss is the goal. Calories. And yeah. then you plan better tomorrow so it doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Well, here's one for you, Shona. Sorry, I have another question. Um, stretching, is there a best time to do this? For example, straight after your weight session or better later that day once you've cooled down or with a few longer, more focused stretch sessions a week rather than daily be better? Does it aid muscle recovery or just something that is generally a good thing to do for flexibility? Generally a good thing to do for flexibility if that is your goal. It won't really do anything for muscle recovery. Well, I- whatever you mean by that um so yeah if, if flexibility is your goal then you could do dedicated flexibility sessions stretching sessions um you could if you wanted as well after exercising if you want to have like that um sort of psychological feeling of like the end of your workout then yes stretching at the end is fine but it's not completely necessary you could do it later when you go home um so hopefully that answers your question I would just add to that as well. Like I think doing it daily is really important. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to get way better results doing 10 minutes, six times a week than you are doing an hour once a week by far. And that's that's kind of true for almost anything. Like Mm -hmm. you'll get better results in terms of like even fit. Like if you broke up one 60 minute workout into, I mean, I wouldn't ideally do this, but into 10 minutes a day, I think you'll get better results for six days a week. Same with like, if you want to spend an hour learning a new skill, far better to split that up into 10 minutes and do it six days a week than it is to do one hour once a week. So I would definitely split that up. Cool. Last question um, from Ashley. Is hypertrophy still a realistic goal when working out from home with a decent dumbbell, band and kettlebell selection? I've been in hypertrophy since August and definitely feel like I've gained muscle and ideally wanted to keep going until the end of February, March. But I'm, but I'm, if I'm just going to be treading water during lockdown, though I do wonder if perhaps it would be wiser to switch to fat loss. Um, without sounding vain, my overall goal is to look as good as I can for summer. That's not sounding vain. That's a perfectly good goal. Vanity is a perfectly good goal. Um, on another note, training-wise for hypertrophy, you notice I've switched between hypertrophy and hypertrophy. I did um, notice that, you know. I'm keeping it fresh. Um, I train about five to six times per week and wondered if I'm better off doing push-pull legs style training. In comparison to what? That's There is no comparison there. So. Then, yeah, probably. I quite yeah. like that split. I think that's a good split. Um, this question is answered in so much detail in episode 175 so go and listen to that basically the short answer is yes but i literally go into the science of how muscle is built how you can do that at home why it doesn't matter that you're at home and hopefully that will answer anything that you have question wise on that if you do have any questions after that podcast absolutely just put them in the group again and we'll answer them but i think listening to that will answer every single question that you have bosh bosh 
Okay. So let, let, let me do the tie-up. Okay, say, okay, Andy, do the tie-up. If you want to go and have a look at um, signing up for Commit to Six or any one-to-one training, you've got to go to esgfitness.co.uk. Um, also, on another note, if you're listening to the podcast, drop us a rating on where you get your podcast from. We do, <laughs> we do appreciate it. <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. Where you need to just say drop us a good rating, not just a rating. But that's 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 making it's a bit pay, bias, too, isn't it? Yeah, it's putting too much pressure on people, and we know they're going to give us a good rating anyway. <laughs> Five stars. All the stars. Right. Thanks, guys, and we will catch up with you later in the week. Bye. Bye.